This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So... When I started thinking about doing the tire fire project, we were in a meeting and I said, if we were talking about some new products and I said, if I could make us a whiskey that tasted like straight up poison, should I do it? And the agreement was definitely, should definitely do that. Um, and, then, <laughs> and I just kind of ran with it. Hello and welcome to Saber. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about scotch. Yeah, scotch. A couple of months ago, because we're so timely here at Saver, <laughs> we got to visit a local Atlanta distillery, American Spirit Works, for the release of Tire Fire. <laughs> Tire Fire, uh-huh. uh, which is a Scotch-style peated malt whiskey. We got to take a tour, try a sample, and they let us interview them. I, I think that was a smart decision. I, I I think it I think it was for everyone involved. I think so. We had a good time. Oh, anyway. we did. Yeah. And the voice you just heard was Justin Manglitz, the head distiller at ASW Distillery. We also got to speak with Chad Ralston, or possibly Chadwick Ralston. He a uh, little hard to <laughs> pin down what he actually does, but according to their website, he is the chief Acorn officer and token millennial. And certified specialist of spirits. Chief acorn officer. Yeah. But the thing is, he I mean, he also he also does their marketing, so I suspect that he wrote that copy. So That's on him. Chad, look at your life and your choices. We're trying to help you out here. We are. Mm-hmm. 
You'll be hearing more <laughs> from both of them throughout this episode. Note, they are not a sponsor. It was just a cool thing we got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned before on the show that my grandparents were big scotch drinkers, and when I was little, I would go visit their house, and they would ask me to go make them drinks. <laughs> but I didn't know, like, I I thought it was just some type of juice. <laughs> But I was definitely bringing my grandparents scotch at a young age. That's fine. As long as you weren't drinking it, I think that's just okay. It was their very special juice. I wasn't supposed to have any. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I recently have gotten into scotch after a a trip to Scotland, which, surprise, surprise, I did get to try a lot of scotch. Um, I, I went on this scotch whiskey tour, and it was so cool. It had a ride. There was, like... Oh, it was big bubbles. Which distillery was this at? It's actually not a specific distillery. Oh, okay. um, it's called the Scotch Whiskey Experience in Edinburgh. And it is the largest collection of Scotch whiskey in the world, I believe. Um, wow. And I have some pictures and some videos. I meant to bring in some props to show you, Lauren, but I forgot. Oh, it's okay. I forgive you this time. Just this time. Yeah. Um, I, I, I relatively, I don't know, maybe about seven years ago, I started getting into, into scotches and... Started. I mean, it's 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 overwhelming. There's so many different kinds, and there's so many different strong flavors involved. Uh, we touched on a little bit about Scotch in our episodes about New Year's traditions and about bourbon, or you know, whiskey and cheersing. Yeah, I actually have a really funny memory of this because we had just done that episode, and then I randomly had to go to South Africa for work <laughs> with one of our coworkers, Casey Pegram, who's kind of quiet. Um, on the quieter side, he's hilarious, but he's, you know. Oh, yeah, he saves it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I had had this huge blowout fight with several of my family members and had to leave straight from that and get on the airport. Oh. And I had in the back of my head, I wanted to do all these New Year's traditions that we talked about in the episode. And I remember I made Casey and bless him, he came along with me. I was like, we've got to go get some scotch. <laughs> <laughs> and I was telling him all about my family drama. It's, it's one of those memories that looking back is very funny and Kind of special, but at the time, <laughs> at the time it was a little bit traumatic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was in a random bar in South Africa drinking scotch with a coworker on New Year's. Oh, well, that's not. Casey is a lovely human he to is. drink scotch with on New Year's. He is, but all right, all right, all right, all right. This brings us to our question: Scotch. What is it? Well, scotch is a liquor made in Scotland from distilled, fermented, smoked grain broth. Hmm. It's aged in oak barrels, which gives it its a characteristic color and allows further flavors to develop. And uh, the result is a tawny brown liquor with a minimum ABV, uh, that's alcohol by volume, of 40% with flavors uh, that can range. But, for example, smoke, earth, wood, vanilla, fruit, herbs, spices, nuts, honey, brine, and possibly more smoke. They can be quite smoky. Oh, yeah. Scotch-style whiskeys are made all over the world, including here in Atlanta, but actual scotch from Scotland is regulated by the Scotch Whiskey Association. Of course. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of tutorials online, I found, uh, about how to enjoy scotch. It can be served as straight or or neat um, or with ice on the rocks or... You can open it up or cut it with a little bit or a lot of water. In Japan, it's common to add a decent amount of water. 
A very popularly reported study published in 2017 found that, like, legit, adding a little bit of water to scotch improves the aroma and the taste. Uh, Using computer simulations, the researchers found that the dilution with a little bit of water brings some of scotch's flavor compounds to the surface of the drink, allowing you to experience them more directly. In Madrid, it's often mixed with ice and cola. In Shanghai, cold green tea and ice and scotch is a popular drink. And there's a whole tasting process. This was part of my materials that I forgot to bring. Uh-huh. It has that, you know, the special glass, and you, like, You're swirl supposed to it. swirl, and, yeah. Basically, you look at it, smell it, and taste it, but more detailed, because <laughs> that's what you do with everything, yeah. <laughs> generally. <laughs> I was trying to, like, simplify it. I'm like, hmm, I think I lost some of the, the extra stuff here, but oh. that's okay. Oh, that's the, those are the basics. That's all right. Maybe we can do a whole a video. Oh, ooh, that would be great. Oh, I miss videos. I do okay. too. Let's think about it. All right. But meanwhile, let's break down that creation process a little bit because understanding how scotch is made is going to help with some of the terms we're going to be throwing around for the rest of this episode. So, okay, you're making scotch. You take some grains, probably mostly barley, and you probably malt them. Uh, malting is a process by which you break down some of the starches in a grain into sugars, uh, which is important when you start the fermentation process later on. And you do this by encouraging the grain to start the germination process. Uh, Grains are seeds, remember, which are just wee condensed lockets of potential. Uh, Justin talked about it a little bit. So malt can be really any type of grain, but in this case barley, that has been germinated by soaking it in warm water and letting it sit so that it sprouts just like you would start a seed at home in your garden. And in that process, in the the sprouting process, the complex starches in the grain simplify and the the bonds break and they become simple starches. And uh, the process creates a diastatic enzymes in the grain, which are capable of converting those starches into sugar if heated up to the right temperature for the right amount of time. So when you sprout that barley to malt it or sprout anything to malt it, in order to make it shelf-stable so that it can be stored for a period of time and used by brewery or distillery or whatever, you have to dry it out. Historically, that was obviously not done with uh, natural gas. So in different places, they used different things. Wood would have been very common. Um, Lasers. <laughs> what, lasers? No. Uh, in Taiwan. <laughs> that's, what, that's what makes Kavalon different. <laughs> right. So yes, uh, given the right conditions, uh, temperature and light and moisture, enzymes in a seed of grain will start converting the compact starch there into sugars, which other enzymes will use energy from to start building cellulose, you know, the structural stuff that roots and stems are made of. When you malt a grain, you stop the process after the starch is broken down into sugar by drying it out. And in the case of scotch, this is where peat comes in. Which brings me to a question, what is peat and why is it in my scotch? (laughs) Peat is the fuel most often used to create heat to dry out malted barley for scotch. We've got another quote from Justin here. In Ireland where it was forested, originally forested, they used wood traditionally. Scotland, even before the English cut down all the trees that were there, didn't have a lot of trees. They mainly used peat, which is essentially uh, petrified mud from a bog. And when you burn that to create heat, obviously it's also creating smoke and that in the process of using the heat to dry the barley, that smoke infiltrates the husk material of the barley and gives it the very peaty, smoky flavor. 
So that's basically where the peak comes in and the different levels of um, smokiness in the malt are governed by the amount of peat, the type of peat that are used to smoke the grain. Oh, man, peat is pretty cool, like, as far as partially decomposed stuff goes. <laughs> it's up there. It's way up there, yeah. <laughs> so what happens is, okay, you've got a bog, uh-huh. like, like a wetland area, yeah? Uh, moss and other vegetation will grow and die. And if the area is wet enough and the temperatures are cool enough, then new growth will press the dead stuff down into the mud, and you'll wind up with that vegetation, that moss, slowly decomposing and compacting more or less on its own without much help from microbes because the water cuts off microbes' primary source of oxygen and the temperatures aren't warm enough for microbes to thrive. And the flavor that these peat fires add is literal terroir. Uh, Large bricks of it are cut out of bogs and dried and then used to smoke malt. Um, Some of the places it's cut from have been at work producing this stuff for 5,000 years. Oof. If you're curious about the name Tire Fire (laughs) of this scotch that we got to try, uh, it works on two levels, the rubbery, smoky flavors in the scotch and the possibility to be a disaster. (laughs) Yeah, uh, there's a lot of, it's a really self-deprecating kind of thing here. They actually were hoping to minimize the rubbery flavors in their scotch-style product. Those flavors come from a group of compounds called cresols that can come from peat smoke. Cresols are used in the manufacture of lots of products because they're good dissolvents. Uh, They show up in everything from Band-Aids to Sharpies to Lysol. So if you've ever smelled scotch and went like, oh, man, that smells like Band-Aids, you weren't wrong. You weren't wrong, no. (laughs) And don't be deterred. (laughs) No, 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 no. There's nothing inherently, like, poisonous about it, although it can smell a little bit like poison as they were saying at the top of the episode. Yeah, there's this air of experimentation about it <laughs> that I love. So it was oh, just yeah. this idea, it could be a tire fire. <laughs> I don't know. And that's just what they started calling it. I, I'm a fan of the name. Me too. Me too. Okay, so back to the process here. So um, so you dry out your malt, probably with peat fire, uh, and then you grind the malt and mash it. That is, you, you cook it with water to help release all of those sugars. The solids are separated out, and the liquid, called the wort, undergoes fermentation. Which means that you add yeast. The yeast eats a lot of those sugars and excretes alcohol and flavor and carbon dioxide. Yeast poop. Yeah. The resulting wash uh, that you get out of that is maybe 8% alcohol by volume. If you stopped here, you'd have, like, probably not really great beer. But we're making whiskey, so we move on to distillation, in which you concentrate the alcohol by separating it out from some of the water. And this is possible because alcohol evaporates at lower temperatures than water does. You heat the whole liquid to below water's boiling point, and the alcohol will vaporize and can be collected. Some of the water and the flavor molecules can come along for the ride. So after one run through a still, you're dealing with a product that's about 20% ABV. After a second run, it's maybe like 50 to 70% ABV. Uh, Although legally, you can keep distilling it all the way up to 94.8%. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. You would probably cut that before you sold it. Probably. <laughs> probably. I'm, I'm like, greatly condensing the process here also. Um, and I didn't mean for that to be a pun, but there we are. Um, <laughs> it's a really complex chemistry experiment making whiskey. 
During distillation, you're carefully controlling your temperatures and watching what gets collected throughout the process because all sorts of different compounds vaporize at slightly different temperatures. You're looking to collect, like, the tasty ones from round about the middle of the process. Some of the stuff from the end of the process actually gets pushed back into every new batch, so there's a little bit of a circle of life. Aww. A circle of scotch? Circle of scotch. <laughs> circle of whiskey. Yeah. That sounds like a bad drinking game. <laughs> Probably played some variation of it in college. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yep. Like in college. Oh, <laughs> oh Laura. Last what week. are you getting up to? Goodness. Uh, one other factor here, not in Lauren's college drinking times, but um, <laughs> in the distillation process, is um, that if you're using a still that's made from copper, uh, which is the traditional thing, uh, partially because it's easy to get copper out of the ground and it's easy to manipulate it into, like, strong but complex shapes. You're also adding flavor through a copper still. Copper is a reactive metal. It can uh, catalyze reactions between some of the compounds in your wash. It can bind to other compounds, and it can oxidize others yet. Some of the uh, fruity flavor compounds in scotch are created by reactions with copper, and there are also some, like, rotty or sweaty flavors that are suppressed. Hmm. Good times all around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once it's distilled, real, like, scotch from Scotland is then aged for at least three years in oak barrels. Often these days, uh, previously used American charred oak bourbon barrels are used um, as Bourbon distillers must and or like to use fresh barrels for every batch. And as the scotch ages in these barrels, it pulls color and flavor compounds from the wood and uh, kind of concentrates and mellows as various compounds soak into the wood and or evaporate out. At bottling, distillers may dilute the scotch with water to bring the final product down to a minimum of 40% ABV, though it can be bottled much higher at the maker's discretion. A scotch-labeled cask strength might be like... 50 to 60%. Hey. Mm-hmm. Well, that's distilling in a bottle. Hey. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't end there because there, there's oh, no. a, lot of, a lot of types of scotch. Oh, there are. And we will get into those after we take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Tell me, has this ever happened to you? You've been in the store. You've thought to yourself, I want to try some scotch. Sure. And then we're overwhelmed by the <laughs> labels and numbers of types. There are so many different words on those labels, and I don't know what they mean. Well, I mean, I do yeah. now because I just researched it. But <laughs> Could you share this knowledge with uh, the yes, rest of us? Yes, I'd be happy to. Okay, so single malt. Mm-hmm. Might have seen that on a thing. Uh, this means that the scotch in question was made at a single distillery and that the grain that went into it is nothing but malted barley. For products other than, like, scotch from Scotland scotch, the malted grains could be things other than barley, but nothing but barley in Scotland. Okay. For a single malt. Okay. If it says single grain, mm-hmm. that's still from a single distillery, but not entirely from malted grains. Back in the creation part of the podcast, I was talking mostly about malted barley, but you can totally use barley or wheat or corn or... Confusingly, for the single-grain label, a blend. (laughs) A multiple? (laughs) A blend of multiple single grains. Okay. Anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. It's from a single distillery. Single means single distillery. Okay. Yes. However, do note that um, either single malt or single-grain scotches can still be blended after distillation and aging as long as the whiskey all comes from the same distillery. Okay. Single means single distillery. Got it. Yeah. Blended. Your scotch might just say blended. Um, And, okay, blended scotches are inherently collaborative. Um, Different scotches are collected from more than one distillery and combined by a master blender. If the word blended appears with no further modifiers, it is a blend of single malt and single grain scotches. If it's called blended malt, then the scotches in the blend are all single malt. Okay. And if it's called blended grain, then the scotches in the blend are all single grain. Makes sense. (laughs) Clear as peat. (laughs) Clear as peat. (laughs) I mean, basically what we're telling you is uh, if you want to experiment, there's a lot of experimentation for you to find out what you like. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's a lot made of single malt scotches, but it's not to say that any blended ones are bad. Um, I mean, you know, it just might be a different flavor experience. Some of them might, in fact, like wines, like blended wines, some of them might even be uh, more flavorful or smoother than any single whatever product might be. I don't know. It's nice to experiment to see what different distilleries are doing and to see what they do together. Don't judge a scotch by its label. Oh. Unless that's how you want to judge your scotch. (laughs) (laughs) You You can quote me on that. That's a T-shirt. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> all right. Speaking of all these types of scotch, how the heck do you spell whiskey? Who? Well, yeah. if it's scotch whiskey, 
in Scotland. <laughs> and in Scotland, England, and Canada, it's Scotch whiskey with no E in whiskey. And no E in Scotch either, but specifically whiskey <laughs> here. And the stuff made in Ireland and the U.S. is Scotch whiskey with an E. I always spell it with an E. I, I suspect I would be judged harshly. Chad has a probably apocryphal but very fun story about why this spelling difference exists. There's a little bit of a, a little bit of lore around the whiskey with an E and whiskey without an E spelling of whiskey. And the best explanation I've heard is that the Scottish label printers dropped the E hundreds of years ago because it wasted ink, and so they were being thrifty. <laughs> I hope that's true. If we talk about Scotch numbers. Mm-hmm. All right, sort of related to that types of Scotch thing, there are also five areas of Scotch production in Scotland. Speyside, Isla, Campbellton, or possibly Campbelltown, Lowland, and Highland. And these labels can only appear on whiskeys produced solely in that region. Uh, Yeah, those are the areas with legal protection for using those names, like Champagne. Um, You may have also heard of Islands, Scotch, uh, that and Speyside are both actually subdivisions of Highlands. Um, Each area tends to produce pretty distinctive scotches due to use of specialized ingredients and processes. And Scotch is big business, especially as you might imagine for Scotland. (laughs) A report from 2012 found that annual gross revenue comes out to 4 billion pounds. 3.45 billion is from exports. The Scotch whiskey industry employs 10,000 Scottish people and 35,000 jobs on top of that. But it's still got a lot of room to grow. Here's Justin. Yeah, so whiskey whiskey is it's it's kind of strange. It's v- still very segmented. Like there are we still get people coming in that say, "Oh, I only like bourbon." And there are plenty of people that say, "I only drink Isla heavy peated whiskeys." But nobody goes to a restaurant and they're like, ah, I only eat hamburgers. Bring me ribs. If you don't have ribs, I'm leaving. I only eat ribs. You know, and we're still in that realm with a lot of spirits consumers in the whiskey world. And we are we want to be able to offer a wide array and also expand people's horizons, just like the breweries, the craft breweries were doing 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Speaking of expanding horizons. Ooh. Ooh. We have some Scotch history for you. Yes. But first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. The history of scotch. Easy peasy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Simple. <laughs> There's an easy peasy joke in there somewhere. That was it. It was bad. <laughs> Moving on. Distillation <laughs> probably arrived in Scotland via missionary monks in the 4th and 5th centuries CE. By the 15th century CE, distillation and the spirits that resulted from them could be found across Europe. The first written record of Scotch production comes to us from some tax records. Yep. The 1494 Exchequer Rolls, a.k.a. ye olden tax records. It said, eight bowls of malt to Friar John Cor wherewith to make aqua vitae, or the water of life. This, by the way, was enough to make around 15,000 bottles. So it seems that by this time, making scotch was fairly common. Yeah. I don't think they went from zero, zero to, to 15,000. 15, if they did, what a party. What a party. Very experimental. <laughs> you know, I got this new thing. I'm going to make 15,000 bottles of it. I think it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Although this would probably have been a very bad party because probably <laughs> this stuff was way stronger than what we're used to and possibly even dangerous. A little bit hazardous. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Uh, it was also primarily, if not entirely, malt whiskey. Records from 1506 show that King James IV ordered aquavitae. It was believed to be medicinal and people took it for a whole host of things. Prolonging your life? Easy. <laughs> Colic? palsy, and smallpox. It became a big part of tradition and social life in Scotland, as we touched on a bit in our New Year's Traditions episode. You offered it to guests when they arrived. It was something you drank to keep away the cold. It was a very kind of social. Social drink, yeah. yeah. Scotch was being made all across Scotland by the 17th century. Records show it popped up at funerals and was noted at um, more than one breaking and entering. It was just like, there was scotch there. Our scotch was involved. Not saying, but... Hmm. But... Hmm. <laughs> In 1690, we get the first known mention of a distillery, Ferentash of Culloden, in the Acts of Parliament. But there were almost certainly distilleries operating prior to that. Tax records, again with the tax records, <laughs> show the Excise Act of the Scottish Parliament called for a tax on every pint of aquavitae or other strong liquid. The Act of Union with England in 1707 drove a lot of distillers to making and selling their stuff illegally. And this 
led to a lot of skirmishes between the tax collectors, also called gaugers, and the distillers, who found that these taxes made staying in business impossible, and the laws were written in a language that wasn't their own. Scotch smuggling became huge. For a century and a half, it was the norm. By 1780, there were eight legal distilleries and 400 (laughs) illegal ones. Wow. Ministers of the Church of Scotland sometimes made space for storage of scotch in their pulpits (laughs) and would occasionally transport it in coffins. Stills were hidden in the hills, and smugglers had a system for signaling each other about excise officers in the area. More than half the product was illegal, and in the 1820s, and the 1820s saw the closing of 14,000 illicit stills a year. The government was doing its damnedest to regulate the whiskey business, but illegal whiskey was all the rage in the 18th century. It reached the point that in 1823, the government passed another excise act, one that outlawed small stills and collected a per-gallon tax and licensing fee for larger distilleries. This did the trick after a bit. Meanwhile... Uh, Wooden barrels made by coopers in Scotland and the rest of the now United Kingdom had become expensive. Um, Most of the oak in the area had been going to making all those ships that made England such a powerhouse during globalization. France, though, which had greater land resources and uh, had started a forest conservancy program in the mid-1600s, helpful, was making lots of barrels for its wines and fortified wines like port and sherry. So as treaties in the early 1800s started allowing greater trade between France and the U.K., more of these wine products wound up in U.K. ports, where they would be bottled for sale at port. The spent barrels were up for sale, and scotch distillers bought them up. These barrels created a slightly sweeter, darker scotches as they drew compounds from the wood and from the wine that it had previously held. In 1831, Aeneas Coffey's invention of the patent or coffee still allowed for continuous distillation process, which in turn led to grain whiskey. And the new milder-flavored whiskey boosted Scotch's sales outside of Scotland. So did the decimation of France's vineyards in the 1880s by the Phylloxera Beto, which we've talked about in Champagne and also some other alcohol-related episodes, because it was a huge deal. Absinthe, yeah, it's part of why absinthe got so big as well. Right, because there was no more wine. Wine. Because this American beetle was like, sup? Yeah. Gonna blight your wine grapes. (laughs) No, American beetle, no. (laughs) But this was good news for scotch, because people started subbing out brandy for scotch. And uh, when bourbon distillation really kicked off after the American Prohibition ended in the 1930s and new laws dictated that bourbon be aged in new barrels for every batch, American bourbon barrels, like once-used bourbon barrels, flooded the barrel market. Simultaneously, uh, port and sherry were losing popularity in the United Kingdom, so fewer of those barrels were being imported. The scotch aged in bourbon barrels is more like what we're used to today. It's a little bit lighter in flavor and color with more of the uh, vanillas that are so common in bourbon. It really changed the industry. Yeah, and there's a it's a whole big world out there of scotch and Oh goodness, this is yeah, just glancing glancing off the surface. If you've been intimidated by it, um or if you've had some but it, one experience was bad, I would say do some experimenting. Um, yeah, try. Interested? S- absolutely. Yeah, try try some others. Like maybe 
maybe look up uh, look up some of the common flavor profiles of those different areas of scotch production mm-hmm. and pick the ones that sound like you wouldn't hate them. <laughs> yes. That's a good starting point. <laughs> Always a good starting point. And um, thank you to ASW Distillery and Justin and Chad for, for speaking with us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we um, we only used most of what we talked about with them was pretty specific to what they are doing at their distillery, which is actually very fascinating um, in terms of how they're using a blend of traditional processes and ingredients and their own, like, just what's working for them um, out of either necessity, mostly necessity, <laughs> necessity or, or, or just what they like. Mm-hmm. And it's a great story, and uh, we're going to be releasing the rest of that interview as a bonus episode for y'all to enjoy as well. Yep. Just in time for the holidays. Unless you're listening to this at any other time, then still maybe. Yeah. I mean, just in time. How do we define that, really? <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, be on the lookout for Tire Fire in stores or see if you can uh, order a bottle. I'm, they are not paying me to say that. I've just been very much enjoying a bottle myself. So I don't know. It's if, very good for— um, It's very smoky. It is very smoky. I mean, fire's in the name. Yeah. And that one of the reasons I, I liked having it, we had it at our D&D session <laughs> one time, <laughs> is because, as I've said, there's always a theme. And ah. usually our, our sessions— um, Go Tire fire oh. is a nice way to put what happens. <laughs> yes, going poorly is a good uh, way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But anyway, this brings <laughs> us to the end of our Scotch episode and to listener mail. Yes. That's what I meant to do in the eggnog episode and then completely failed. <laughs> it's a cheersing. It's a cheers. It's a cheersing. It's nice. Mary wrote... I'm currently doing a semester abroad in Scotland. And yes, haggis is everywhere. One of my roommates is from England, so of course we had to have a Christmas pudding since the rest of us had never had one. We just bought a ready-made one rather than attempt to make one. After drowning it in brandy and drinking a bit, we happily lit it on fire. I've attached a video where you can hear my happy tipsy yays. Sadly, I had not drunk nearly enough to stomach actually eating it and promptly spit it out and handed my roommate the rest (laughs) on my plate. In my opinion, Christmas pudding should be burned like a candle rather than actually eaten. Sorry, Brits, but fruitcake is gross. (laughs) Followed by many exclamation points. (laughs) I, uh, the video was lovely, one, thanks for sending it, but, um... I submit that maybe... Homemade. Homemade. Maybe. Maybe. It could still be gross. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, as I've said, I haven't tried any yet. Yeah. I have high hopes, though. I'm pretty convinced I'll like it. Yeah. I'm going to be let down if I don't. Oh, no. Okay. Well, Melanie wrote... When I was a little girl, my sister, my cousin, and I were taking a bath. My mom was a few rooms over enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes apiece. As is always the case, when a mom sits down for more than two seconds, we immediately called out for her. My sister and I kept yelling about how my cousin was making bubbles. My mom yelled back that it was okay to have bubbles in the bath. After a while, as our calls became more intense, she put her coffee down and came back to where we were. She, What she found was that my cousin had been chewing at least two pieces of bubble gum and dropped it in the bath. The gum had melted and spread all over the bath, in our hair, all over our bodies, and the tub. My poor mom got to spend the next couple hours rebathing us and washing our hair with peanut butter, gasp, sorry Annie, to try to get it out. To this day, the bubblegum story is a favorite passed around at family events. 
So anyway, just wanted to pass along my gum experience. <laughs> oh, that sounds horrible. Oh, my goodness. Uh, two things about this <laughs> is the subject line of the email was Bubbles, not the monkey, which caused very fun conversation around the uh, <laughs> office kitchen table because I didn't get it. But apparently it's the name of Michael Jackson's monkey. Oh. Yeah. I didn't get it either, but okay. There <laughs> we go. That's what I've yeah. been assured by other coworkers. That's the reference. And two, this reminds me of the Christmas that <laughs> me and my cousin, we uh, we snuck in and opened some presents oh. on Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. And uh, it was Gak. Do you remember Gak? Yeah. It's this green slime. Yeah, yeah. Like a like a like a mm, slimier putty. Yes. And also, as it turns out, very sticky. Because we made hats out of it. Oh. And uh, I came out of Christmas with a very different haircut. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned my lesson. I never tried to sneak open a present again. (laughs) And anytime I bring it up, my mom gives the greatest groan. And is like, why did they ever think that was a good idea to give that to children? (laughs) Yeah, um, I've got nothing there. It was pretty funny. I mean, my both my aunt and my mom were just complaining for, like, hours as they were trying to get it out of our hair. Like, what moron kids they had. <laughs> but, Mom, we wanted to make hats. We wanted to make hats. We had the stuff. It's malleable. I, that was the only logical thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Obviously. Obviously. So thanks to both of them for writing to us. You too can write to us. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. Thank you so much to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. 
we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.